Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. He was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying this to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his son and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I do not have a husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in these mountains, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. 
Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know this is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. I had the, the long passage, and I knew there was no way I was going to be able to cover the whole passage today unless you all wanted to eat lunch here too. So uh, I had that read, and I wanted everybody to, to hear it because it's an important message. And there's, there's things that we're going to be looking at today through the course of this, this passage that we can apply to our lives. Apostle John wrote this, this gospel so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing we might have life in him. And so last week we looked at, we looked at Nicodemus and, and we saw that Jesus said he needed a new birth. He needed to be born from above. And so this week we're looking at the woman at the well and, and Jesus is telling her that she needs a living water. It's, it's a different metaphor, but it's really the same basic message that, that Jesus is giving to these two individuals. It's interesting in the argumentation of, of the gospel, as John is writing these things uh, that you might believe, that in chapter 3 and chapter 4, this is really the only conversations from here on out where Jesus has a, a long dialogue with an individual. The rest of the time you'll see him talking to his disciples, where you see him talking to the crowds or the, the Pharisees. And so I think there's some things here that John is wanting us to see in these two individuals. So I wanted to take a moment and see if I could, um, if I could uh, bring out some of the differences or distinctions of the two. So in one, in, in John 3, we had Nicodemus. I'm going to call him Nick because if I might miss, I think at first hour I misspelled the word and didn't realize it. So I thought this time I'll just spell Nick, right? Over here in John chapter 4, we have, we have a woman. And there's some very specific distinctions between the two. For one... He was a man and she was a woman. That's something that was a, in, in woman. See, if I knew I would do something like that, I hadn't even got started here. See, my college kids, they're used to, when I was getting my whiteboard out, they're used to that. And they just, they just laugh and they actually would have their phones and they would just keep texting each other all the misspelled words I had on the board <laughs> and other things, I'm sure. But, um, but anyway, Nick was a Jew he was Jewish, and that was really important in a distinction. She was a Samaritan, and we're going to look here in a minute and see what was some of the, um, some of the distinctions of, of, of the two and why there was such a, such a, a division. Um, some of the other things was he was, he was educated, um, and she was uneducated. Um, he, was a, he was a leader, I would, um, or um, a religious leader. He was on the Sanhedrin. We saw that last week. Um, she was really just uh, a nobody. She was just, um, just like anybody else in, in the town. She didn't have anything about her or her way of life that, that made her stand out as regards to, to being a leader. He was, he was wealthy. Um, he was probably an upper middle class in his culture. Um, she was poor. Uh, 
She was lower, lower class, very distinct difference there. He kind of saw the merits of Jesus and he kind of sought Jesus out. To her, he was just a tired traveler sitting by the well. It was actually Jesus who sought her out. Um, um, I think that's kind of really important in, our, in, our, in the message here today because you see that, you see that Nicodemus is coming to, to Jesus by night. He's seeking Jesus out, so he came at nighttime um, for all the reasons we looked at last week. But, but here the woman came... Uh, met Jesus at noon. It was during the heat of the day, and it was at at the in all the light. And one of the things you begin to realize is there's some very distinct differences between these two, um, not only in gender, but in in race, in their education, um, in their um, their position within the community, um, their wealth, their their things that they possess, and yet Jesus loved them both. I think one of the important messages of the gospel is that we realize that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. I, I, I always, I like to say it and I say it a lot of times, I, over and over a lot of times and because to me it's still something I have, have to kind of get in my head that you'll never meet anybody that the gospel wasn't meant for. You'll never meet anybody in your life that the gospel wasn't intended for. And I think when John draws out and he writes his gospel and he, and he highlights these two as he's trying to, to demonstrate to you why you should believe in Jesus is, is the Christ, the Son of God, I think it's important to understand some of the differences of these two, that they cover all of humanity, to be honest with you, that, that the availability of the message of what Jesus has done is available for all, and that Jesus, Jesus approached her and moved by his own love for her. I think it's important for us to understand. But at the same time, for Jesus to really communicate with her, there were some real barriers for Jesus to overcome. In fact, I think there were four in the passage that, that we're looking at that we see that he had four barriers in order to communicate with her. The first one was just a simple fact that she was a woman. You know, in our culture, we don't really, maybe we don't fully understand that. But in their culture, for a rabbi to speak to a woman in public just was unheard of. He just didn't do it, let alone someone who was an unmarried rabbi. To stop and to speak to a woman was just not, just not right. In fact, many of the rabbis believed that women, that women weren't to be taught the scriptures, that they, they would ask their husbands at home. In fact, a lot of times the husbands wouldn't even speak to the women, in, to their own wives in public because of this, 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 this barrier that Jesus was facing as he approaches this woman. In fact, I think in the gospel, you, in, in the gospels you find in the life of Jesus that he was very radical in, his, in the way that he approached women. He was very accepting of them. You find him talking to women about the scriptures about life. He does it here in this passage. But yet in that culture, that was, that was kind of frowned on. In fact, you really remember when the disciples came back? I mean, they left Jesus at the well. She sees this tired person, probably, probably from the journey, I, I believe by, the, by the, you know, the plan of God that he was there to meet her. But they went on to get food, to come back with food because Jerry, uh, Jesus was weary. 
And so she only sees him as being weary, but I think it was fully intentional. But Jesus could have just walked on past. He could have not talked to her. He could have, could have went on, but he does. He does talk to her and it's very radical movement. That's why when sometimes I think it's important to realize that God never allowed culture to keep from him communicating his truths. It's important to realize that, that he reached out to her. The second thing we begin to realize is that she was, was her race. Um, she was a Samaritan. In 722 uh, BC, the Assyrians captured the northern kingdom of Israel and they took captive uh, Jews into their, na- into their country. And a lot of times what countries would do when they captured in that day, they would take their, the captives, they would bring them back into their land and they would intermarry them into the, to, to their own people and other people that they conquered and, and teach them their ways. Remember Daniel and his three friends when they were captured by the Babylonians. They were brought to a different place. They were given different names, different food, and a different training to to try to erase their past heritage and to begin a new heritage. Well, that's what happened to a lot of these Samaritans is when they got captured, they intermarried. And as a result of that, what ended up happening is they couldn't prove their genealogy. So they're coming back and they're trying to claim with the Jews their rights as Jews, but the Jews didn't acknowledge that. There was no no way to trace their their genealogy. There was no way to really trace who they were. Plus the other thing was in the process of intermarrying, they also began to take on some things uh, in their their religion and what they believed. And so another barrier for Jesus here is is her religion. The Samaritans only only saw the first five books of the Bible, the, the first five books of Moses. We, we term it as the Pentateuch. They only saw that as scripture. Everything, everything past that, they didn't consider part of the scriptures. They didn't, they didn't look into those, those passages. They only looked at those first five books of the Bible. Plus through their intermarriage, they began to accept certain types of, of, of idols and other types of worship and they began to corrupt their worship. And so the Jews rejected that. In fact, in uh, 400 BC, about that time, they built their own temple on a different mountain. That's why the Samaritan woman says to Jesus, I I sense that you're a prophet. I sense that you know these things. Do we worship on that mountain, referring to Judaism, or do we worship on this mountain, the Samaritans? They saw a very distinct difference, and, and, and the Jews were saying they were right, and the Samaritans were saying they were right, and here's a Jewish man speaking to a woman in public about her religion. Well, well how unique is that? It's very radical in that, in that day. And so, and so after they built that temple, the Samaritans, about 128 B.C., a, a Jew by the name of John, that is no lie, I forgot his last name where I would have told you, but uh, John went in there and he kind of burned down their temple, which really only intensified the hostilities between the Jews and the Samaritans. Um, that's, why, that's why when Jesus used that parable of the good Samaritan, it was a slap in the face of the Jewish people, the Jewish hearers. They were like, what? What, can, what good can a Samaritan do? Who, why would you use him? And Jesus was Jesus was understanding and he was facing this, this barrier that was, was there. Also, another, another barrier was, the, was her lifestyle. We, we learn from this passage as she begins to understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, hey, I'll give you living water. 
And whoever drinks of this well, they're going to get thirsty. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty. Her response is, oh, give me some of that. Why? Because I don't want to come up to this well every day. This is hard work to come up here and get water for the day. And I don't want to come up here every day. If I have that water, then I don't have to make this trip. So Jesus said, fine, go get your husband. And her response is, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you've answered well. For you've had five husbands. And the one that you're with now is not your husband. One of the things you begin to realize is, well, why was she at the well at noon? In the heat of the day, the hottest part of the day, here she is at the well, when most of the time they would go in the morning or in the evening when it was cooler. But it was a gathering place. It was, a, it was like a meeting place, right, in the well. I remember when we were living in Maine, um, we lived in a community of about 300 people. And, and there was just one highway that went down through it. And, and most of the people that lived in the city wasn't very many. There was a lot of them had farms and everything. And so everybody liked to come into town. They would go to the post office. I would tell Lydia, hey, I'm gonna go to the post office. And she wouldn't see me for two hours because I would show up at the post office and there was all kinds of people there. And you start visiting and you start hanging out. You start sharing about different things. You get, get to talking, right? And you know what should have taken two minutes took two hours in all the visiting. Well, it's much like that at the, at the well. It was a place where you gathered. But there were days when I knew I had a lot to do. There were certain times I wouldn't go to the post office because I knew there would be less people there, right? And same for her, maybe. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was simply that she forgot to go get the water that morning. Maybe she, she thought she had enough for the day. Maybe it spilled, so she had to, I don't, I don't know, but it seems to imply that probably she wasn't accepted. She was acknowledged by her lifestyle. And this became a, a barrier. Um, she probably didn't have a great reputation. And the thing that I think that's really interesting is that Jesus he found her as she was just kind of going throughout her day. You see, Nicodemus, he picked the time. He came at night. He found Jesus in his conditions where he wanted to meet Jesus at. But when Jesus found her, she was just going through the, the average part of her day, just what she normally did. You see, Jesus meets us right where we're at, doesn't he? He cares about us. And he meets us right there. I think there's, I think there's things about this that I look at and I began to think, man, you know, one of the things you begin to realize is Jesus could have just walked right by her. I mean, Jesus could have gone a different way and all the Jews would have accepted that and understood that. Why would you go through Samaria, Jesus? Why would you even think about doing that? That doesn't make sense. And then you've stopped it there and you're talking to this woman. He could have just sat there and let her get her water and go on. And man, that really struck me in my heart. How many times do I look past people because of their, because of their lifestyle or what I perceive the, the kind of person they are? And so therefore, I, don't, I begin to think, well, <clears throat> I don't want to witness to them or I avoid them or I walk past them. I remember a while back, I was going to, into a QT. It was a couple of years ago. There was a homeless man standing right outside the front off to the side by the door. And as I went in, I just felt like I should, have, I should buy him a sausage biscuit, you know, or something. And I remember going in, somebody said something to me. I went to the, use the restroom. I came out and went out without him, just forgot. And then as I was pulling off, I saw him. And man, I was so convicted. 
But sometimes I think we're in the busyness of our life, we just kind of go right past people that don't fit into our, 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 our standard, our culture. You know, it was easy for Nicodemus to walk past a woman like this because he got into the habit of his life and the way he viewed his philosophies and the way he thought. And who are those lives that are coming across in our lives that, that maybe, maybe God wants us to strike up a conversation that, that leads to spiritual things, but we don't because they don't fit our way of life. I was thinking about this and in fact, one of the things I thought I was trying to illustrate kind of the, how radical this was that Jesus was sitting here talking to this woman. And the closest thing I could think of was a white man asking an African-American woman for a drink of water out of her cup in the 1950s. That would have been radical. That would have been totally radical. And who is it today that we're shunning, we're or we're putting off because somehow they don't fit to our standard or our thought of lifestyle. But yet, isn't the gospel meant for everybody we meet? Is the gospel able to transform lives? Does God love every single one? Absolutely, yes. And so it became very convicting as I began to think about the challenges in our own lives we see it here, and I think John wants us to see the, the, the expanse of what the gospel is for. He, he chooses this one type of person that everybody would have, would have kind of fallen over, and he chooses this other one that most of us wouldn't have invited to our own house. And he wants us to see that the gospel is meant for all of us, that all of us, that he writes this, that, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life in him. If you look down at verse 10 in John chapter 4, it says, Jesus answered her and he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get the living, that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. First thing Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, well, right there was sitting before her was the gift of God. Jesus is the gift of God. He's the gift of God to all who would believe. He's God's, God's, God's redemption. He's God's rescue plan. He's what God has sent into our world that he might be delivered, that we might be saved. And he excludes no one from that free gift. He excludes no one, regardless of race or gender or lifestyle. He is the living water. In fact, in verses 13 and 14, we talks about the living water. And it's really the, the same context as what he talked about in verse three, chapter 3, that it's that new life within us. It's the new life. In fact, the Greek word here is a little bit different for that in verse 14, the welling up. It's a, it's a Greek word that is used in a sense, not just a stationary well, but a well that has underneath it a, a, a water source that keeps the, the well full. 
We know from history, in fact, it's used in verse 6 of this well that Jacob had. We know from history it was a deep well. And the well was filled from a water source. So it's important to understand here that as Jesus is sitting here talking at this well, he's talking about the water source, the source of living life, of eternal life, is, is that water that Jesus is providing. And when he says welding up, bubbling up within you, he's talking about that life, that Jesus is our life. To the Jew, he would have really understood all of this, this idea of the innermost being. In fact, if you, you looked at Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, and there's several references in the Old Testament of living water, but Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, I'm sorry, it says this, God speaking, for my people have committed two evils. It's really important to understand this. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Wow. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And the picture is, is what God's people had done is they had moved away from God and they had taken these containers, these things that they thought would, would hold water, that would give life, that would sustain life, and they began to build into them thinking those things would, would give them life in the process of forsaking their God who gives them living waters. And they were broken cisterns. They were broken containers. No matter what they put in it, 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 it was never enough. It never filled up. I, I think of my own life. I think of how many times when I was in, in the restaurant business, and, you know, I, I'd get advanced or I'd, I'd make another step. And, you know, there came a point where I was just putting in all these hours thinking, well, if I only get to this position or if I only get to this status, then everything will be right. And then you kind of get there and it's not enough because you realize there's more. Or, or I go through this time where I was going, man, if I could only make this amount of money, then everything would be all right. And then you get there and you realize that's not enough. Because it's a broken cistern, it's a broken container, it doesn't, doesn't hold everything. When I got married, I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to get married and this, this, this wife of mine is going to provide for my needs. How foolish, right? But you thought that, I guarantee you. That we begin to look at our, our spouses, we begin to look at this other person thinking they're going to meet needs. And we build up these, these containers and then when it doesn't happen, they're broken. And we begin to, to blame others. We begin to blame other things and we blame God. We blame anybody because, because they're so foolish. And we get into bad relationships. We get addicted to things like porn. We get addicted to, to gambling. We get addicted to the way we spend our money. We, we begin to do all these things thinking somehow they're going to fill up life. But the only one that can fill those things in life is Christ. When we start trying to put these needs in our, in our lives and think somehow they're going to they're fulfill our life, we, we reject the living water. And we begin to, to miss out on that life that's bubbling up from within, from our innermost being that Christ can fulfill. I believe in a gospel that transforms lives, that can take people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life and make them new forevermore. And dear people of God, we too as God's people try to build those containers in our lives too. When I look at it around in, in our world and I see our country talking about our debt problem or our country talking about our, our, our uh, human trafficking we saw the other night here, 
when there's, there's immoral problems in, 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 in the whole realm of, of uh, adult videos and all the things that's going on on the internet. And we keep talking about all those things and, and we hear about, I don't care which side of the political fence you're on, but we keep hearing about things where people are using, using weapons to hurt others. And we keep seeing that over and over again. The problem in our country isn't that we don't have more laws or we don't have more things that, to keep things straight. The problem is we have a spiritual problem that our country's trying to fulfill, our, the people of our nation's trying to fill up itself and meet its needs in something that can't. They're running around and they're trying to fill in these, these containers that they think are gonna hold and keep their life together. And it won't because it's broken and it's, it's spilling out. Just like if I had a cup with a hole in it and as fast as I pour water, out pours the water and it can never be filled. It can never be satisfied. But with Christ, the living water, when he's bubbling up in the innermost of my being, he is enough. He is my source. He is my life. That Christ is sufficient it's in the times when I lack faith and I lack the ability to see God at work in my life that I begin to, to think God doesn't have anything good for me. No more different than Adam and Eve when, when they looked at the fruit and saw it was good and, and thought God was keeping it from them. Or that by eating it, they might be like God's. No more different than me today if I think somehow I'm gonna control my life and I'm gonna build this, 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 this container that I'm gonna fulfill life and I'm gonna be controlled. And only realize the foolishness that I'm really not. That Jesus is the living water. That God's people need to know that he is the source. And the transformation of our lives through the gospel of Jesus gives us a new life. Believing that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And believing we might have life in him. In the, in the story, Jesus goes on, if you look on down in verse 23. In verse 23, she just asked Jesus the question, realizing that he might be this prophet, do we worship on this mountain or that mountain? And Jesus tells her, you do not know what you worship. And, and part of it because of the idolatry that had kind of seeped into the Samaritan faith. And that's why Jesus says salvation comes through the Jews because the Messiah is coming through the Jews. But he picks up in verse 33, 23 and he says, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. That's a very basic, simple principle here that, that as we approach God, we approach him in spirit and in truth, that we know him. In fact, in fact, the reality is that we accept God's revelation in Jesus Christ, the ultimate truth, and that through him we have life with the Father through the Spirit. If you think about John right now as he's walking through this gospel and he's, as he's trying to kind of dissolve doubts and he's trying to help you to understand and to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son, of, the son of God. And you think about where he's gone, John chapter one. Remember where Jesus said that, he, or John said that the, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. We found out that the word was God. He was there in the beginning. He was there when creation took place. 
And he came to his own, but his own didn't recognize him. But as many as would receive him, to them, God gives the right to become the children of God to those who would believe. And then it says in verse 14, and the word became flesh. So now we know that it's Jesus and John's argumentation. We understand that Jesus was a God man, fully God, yet fully man. That's why he got tired on this day and we find him at the well. We also realize in John chapter one, verse 29, when John the Baptist was, was, was proclaiming about Jesus and John said, John said, behold, the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. What a powerful statement that here's the one that God sent into our world to redeem, to save that which was lost. We also saw in last week in John chapter three, verses one through seven, where Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and Jesus tells him, you must be born again. How do I, how do I go back into my mom's? How, can, how is that possible? And Jesus said, no, born from above, born by the spirit made anew, that all things will be passed away and all things become new, that no longer are we part of the kingdom of darkness, but the kingdom of light. And then the day of the, with the woman at the well, we learn of the loving water that they, in our innermost being gives us life and he becomes our source. In fact, what, what Jesus is talking about, what John is teaching us is there's a whole new life, a whole new economy in how we live. Let me see if I can diagram it a little bit here. When you talk about this new life and we say, okay, what does that, what does that mean? What, is it, what, does that, what does that look like? So we learned last week, you know, that here's God and here's humanity. Humanity has been, boy, isn't that a great sound? Anybody crunching because of that? All right, so here's humanity. Humanity and God have been separated because of sin in the garden. We saw that last week. Humanity's on a path of destruction till the second death, Revelations 19, the great white throne. So when, man and, when God and humanity were separated, how did God communicate? Well, God would, would speak to prophets and God spoke in other ways. He gave his creation, but he would... When he had a message for Israel, when he wanted them to be redeemed, he spoke to prophets and the prophets would speak to us. He would go to the, he would go to the, to the people. And that's why you saw a lot of times when a prophet would, would proclaim where they hear the reading of the word. And if, if Israel had turned against God and they would repent and they would, they would want to get right with God. Well, how did they do that? Well, they didn't go to God. They went straight to a, to a, to a priest. And, and they bring sacrifice and, and how they conducted their lives. It was very works oriented and it was very, very much in the sense of the way that they, they conducted themselves. The reality is it's still by faith. It was still believing that God would accept their sacrifice on the day of atonement when the high priest, all of Israel would come around the temple and the high priest would go and he would, he would take the sacrifice and he, and he would prepare it and he would take the blood from the sacrifice and then he would enter into the Holy of Holies. God didn't meet his people face to face. God didn't meet his people individually. He met the high priest. And, and when he would go in there, he had bells on the bottom of his, of his robe. And as long as they heard those bells moving, they knew God was accepting their sacrifice. 
But if they stop moving, did God accept their sacrifice? And see, we believe in Jesus that God for once and for all accepted that sacrifice. But they went to the priests and then the priests would represent them before God. And so, and so what John is replying here now is there's a whole new economy, a whole new lifestyle because of what Jesus is about to do. That's why he said, is here or now is, we're about to come. You will no longer worship on that mountain, no longer worship on this mountain, but you will worship in spirit and truth because of what Jesus has done. Now man can enter into the presence of God through prayer, through the spirit. We can worship him. You came this morning and maybe you came and you're saying, well, I'm wondering what the church is gonna do for me this morning. You know, the guy, the guy up there is not doing very good today. He's not really connecting with me at all and, and, and all. Well, that's not worship. That's consumerism. You're, you're coming in, you're expecting something. You didn't pay for anything maybe, but you're expecting something, right? That's not worship. Worship's when we come in and with yielded hearts and hearts that are bent towards God and we lift up to him his praise and his worship. And we approach him because of what Jesus has done. We approach him in spirit and truth. One of the things that drew me to the gospel was this term truth because I didn't know anything that was true. People have lied all the time. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that stuck out to me. You see, when we accept God's revelation in Christ Jesus, we accept God's ultimate truth that God sent his son into our world. I don't get on the phone, I don't go somewhere, and I don't go to some man to, to represent me before God. I go straight to him through, through his son, Jesus Christ. There is one mediator between God and man, the Christ. I no longer find myself looking for a way where somebody else is gonna meet my needs or depending on a, on a priest, but my relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that Jesus once and for all went to the cross and through his death, his burial and resurrection, once and for all settled the price, settled the condemnation, settled the devastation of sin and death and gave victory to all who would believe that by believing in him, you would have life. And that you approach God, not through somebody else or be, because somebody who's more religious than you, but you through Jesus Christ enter into his presence by spirit and by truth. Amen? Wake up, folks. This is exciting stuff. We should be, we should be doing backflips because we have life and I don't have to go find somebody else to give me life. Jesus has already accomplished all of that on the cross. Through his death, his burial, and resurrection, there is life in him, and he's the source. I don't have anywhere else I need to go. Jesus is enough. I don't have to look for, for something else to fulfill the needs of my life. Jesus is enough. That Christ himself can can, can feel that need in my life. I believe in the transformational power of the good news of salvation to change me from what I was to what he wants me to be. To go from life to, from death to life. I almost messed that one up, didn't I? But I want you to also understand one thing too. God is spirit, but spirit isn't God. 
And that's very important distinction is a big difference. Let me take a moment and explain that. In the very essence of who God is, he's, he's spirit, but not all spirits are God. And we live in a day where Christians just like you and me who are being deceived because we're starting to believe that, you know, like this Christ consciousness, that there's this spirit that, that kind of dwells all of us, that that's God and it's not. But that there's a force out there or an energy that kind of works through all of us and, and that is God. No, God is not, spirit is not God. God is spirit in his essence and who he is. He is a person. He has relationships with us. There isn't many paths. There's one path through Jesus Christ. There is no other name under, under heaven by which we can be saved. And so, to, so do not be deceived by the messages that are going on out there that are, that are hitting a lot of our young folks and hitting a lot of our, our, our people, our own people, as they take scripture and they begin to change it. There is only one way to worship God. Yes, it's in spirit and truth. And God is spirit, but not every spirit is God. There isn't a force. I, God has given me new life, and, and I believe my mom and my dad who have new life, that they're alive today in spirit, but they're not God. But they are communing with God because of what Christ has done for them and their faith in Christ. You see the difference? So don't, don't fall for that, dear people of God. Don't be deceived. Don't be ignorant of that. Know what is true. Because when you approach him, you can only approach him in, in spirit and truth. And God's ultimate truth is in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's enough. Let's pray. Father God, I just, I just come before you and I just lift up to you, Father, the words today. Father, some may have been coming in this morning. And, and Father, your spirit knows each heart, each mind here today. And some may have come in this morning and they've been building cisterns and they've been forsaking your living water, Father. They've been feeling like maybe, Father, it's, it's a home or it's a, it's a job or it's an income or, or it's a relationship or it's a hobby or activity, that that's what gives them and defines their life. And God, that's nothing more than a broken container, a broken cistern. That, Father, in our innermost being, the living water, the spirit of God, the, the, what Jesus has done for us can bubble up and it gives us life, abundant life. Life when we can have peace in the middle of, of chaos and comfort in the middle of pain. Father, we find your strength when we feel so weak. We trust in your, in your hand when we can't understand the next steps. And you don't let us down. Father, some may have been coming in here and they just forgot that. And today, Father, I pray your spirit just moves and communicates with them and just to remind them the source and the power of the transformational gospel that we believe in. Some may come in today, Father, and they were indifferent towards you. Maybe they've never trusted Christ. Maybe they've never... And born again from above, maybe they've never come to a place where they trust in Christ and Christ alone for their standing before you. I pray, Father, your spirit would move in their hearts as well. That today would be the day of salvation. The day would be the day that they would come to Christ and, and trust him once and for all. 
to give up that battle of trying to put their own life together and trying to build everything around, but the Father come to a place when they realize that your son's enough. It isn't truly until we're falling into the everlasting arms of you, Father, that we don't realize until then that you're all that we need. So Father, please speak to us, your people, in Jesus' name, amen.